Welcome to Pastors of the Roundtable, the discipleship podcast of Monroe Missionary Baptist Church, brought to you by Together in Christ, the teaching ministry of MMBC in Monroe, Michigan. We encourage thoughtful discussion about the Christian faith and connect you to people and the ministries of MMBC. We're here today continuing uh, the series that we began last week, which is walking through um, an understanding, an overview of what we believe about the church. Uh, what the church is, how it should function. And this kind of will uh, dovetail well with uh, Pastor Tim's series through First Timothy, uh, where Paul gives instructions about how Timothy should behave in the household of God. And uh, similarly here, we are walking through uh, what we believe the church is and uh, how we should function together as a local as a local congregation. Um, we began last week and we've started, we're using the... Uh, the the uh, 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith. Um, there's a big chapter, chapter 26, which goes through everything they believed about what the church is and how it ought to be uh, governed. And so last week we looked at the church as an in, as an invisible uh, reality, and then also the church as a visible reality. So we looked at the church as how God sees it, um, which is perfect. It, it consists of uh, all the elect, all of the, every believer for all time. Um, and that is only seen by God perfectly. Um, but we, we see it in the lives of individual Christians who profess the faith of the gospel and, and, uh, don't live a life that is uh, contrary, uh, to that profession. So we, we began with that last week. The church is invisible, but the church is also visible. This week we want to, I've titled this episode, Indestructible Kingdom, uh, Sovereign King. So we're going to talk this week about the church, its purity, but also the fact that the church has always existed and will always exist um, to the ends of the age. So um, any, any comments real quick before I begin reading this the chapter the paragraph um scott's looking at all the words are you reading all three pages you know i'm you, it's funny i'm gonna go to the bathroom and be right i am back. i am used to reading a lot of pages what is on that this mean? microphone is that a shot no i'm just saying you know what you guys just need to you need to sit down be patient and uh, so you'll tell us when to talk no no Oh, this is a conversation. Us, can you tell me when it's important to pay attention? This is important to pay attention from right now to the end. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, put your phone down. I'm trying to stop find, buying trophies. I'm trying no. to find a trophy no. for the chili cookoff. <laughs> Multitask is called. You couldn't. You couldn't delegate that task. This is a task that is a pastoral task that I couldn't delegate it. It's the kind of thing that just drives Tim nuts. I know. Until he I figures know. it out. Until he gets it. I know. No, he won't I be know. able to get his sermon done until he finds it. I know. Yeah, the sermon will be on the back burner. But this trophy, we have to find the trophy. Um, I'm trying to decide if I should get a belt, like a WWE belt. Or a trophy. Or Ooh. trophies. Or a ring. WWE belt. Could you sure. do a championship ring. Or chain. Chain. The champion Belt chain. buckles. Gold chain. Yeah. Could do, yeah. I don't know. Any number of. It's of, a lot of options. Yeah. Or you could do bracelets. Um, oh, like, like they like do the for World Series like of Poker. poker. <laughs> they do bracelets. Did you know that, Scott? I didn't. Yeah, they do bracelets. You do a jacket. No, they do that in golf. In golf, you yeah, know, for jacket. the Masters. For the Masters, you get the green jacket. Um, I guess you could get the golden spoon. I mean, there's a, a lot of but they do a random items in this room we could use. What? Yeah, we have we have some uh, we have some peas. There's a can of 
of yams up there that's been there ever since I've gotten here. We could open those up. No, don't open them. Just give them the can. Just give them the can of yams, the golden yams. That is, there is actually some kind of yam thing in college football, I think. Are you going to start reading this? Okay. <clears throat> so first of all, we're talking about the church is an indestructible kingdom. Um, paragraph three of this uh, confession says this, the purest churches under heaven are subject to mixture and error. And some have so degenerated as to become no churches of Christ, but synagogues of Satan. Nevertheless, Christ always has had and ever shall have a kingdom in this world to the end thereof of such as believe in him and make profession of his name. So the overall focus of this this paragraph right here is this basic fact that though the church in this world, every church has flaws, every church is imperfect um, because it's made up of sinners. And so we can't expect to find a perfect local church. Um, and the good news is, is that God still works through our imperfect churches. Uh, Christ is still present with us. Christ is still preaching to us. Christ is still saving sinners in our imperfect churches. On the other hand, there is a warning that, um, and Jesus talks about this in Revelation, that it is possible for a church to have its lampstand taken away, um, for a church to cease to be a true church of Christ, but rather, as he says, as the confession says, become a synagogue of Satan instead. Uh, but then there's the comfort that the church will never completely cease to exist on the face of the earth. Um, there may be times when it's hard to see the church or to find it, but it will never completely vanish um, from from the face of the earth. And I think this is a very comforting passage because, first of all, I mean, guys, why would it be comforting um, to think that, that Christ, uh, you know, first of all, it opens up with a basic fact. The purest churches under heaven are subject to mixture and error. That's just a basic fact um, uh, about, about the way things are in this world. Why is it comforting to know uh, for you that Christ still, though, works through our, our imperfect congregations and our imperfect people? I, I go back to, you know, what Jesus said to Peter, you know, upon this rock, I, I will build my church. You know, obviously yeah. the Catholic Church has taken that and skewed it and made it be about the Pope, which is obviously false. Um, but the fact that Jesus said, I will build my church, mm-hmm. you know, and it was a future indicative statement, meaning I will do this, I will accomplish this, this, this will be a reality, uh, is very comforting because I think there's oftentimes, especially, you know, you guys know this, you know, training for ministry and, and uh, pastoral ministry, there is this, kind of maybe unscripted pressure that oftentimes pastors feel like I got to build this church. Mm-hmm. I've got to get this thing going. I've got to, you know, I've got to get people here. And obviously we want people to come and we, we need, we need that. We need members. We need, you know, people in the pews. But the comforting thing is that Jesus said, I will do this. Mm-hmm. And we are the passive recipients or we are the passive, you know, the, 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 the recipients of his, we are what promise. is builded, right? Yeah. We yeah. are the ones being built. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I think that's the comfort, you know, even if the ages that we live in, you know, there's all these restrictions and we look at what's going on in Canada and other places mm-hmm. in the world. The comforting thing is that Jesus, his promise is still his promise. Yeah, right. So. Right. And it's, in, it's indestructible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we sometimes might get discouraged about, um, you know, uh, this church or that church, or maybe you've been in a local church before and you get discouraged about this or that feature, but then you read like the book of Corinthians and you see the problems that were going on there. And yet Paul still addresses them as a church 
and you realize yeah. that the saints to the saints, <laughs> yeah, to the saints in Corinth, yeah, um, and they had some pretty big issues uh, going on doctrinally and morally, mm-hmm. um, and yet Paul still considers them a church and still believes that God is able to use them mm-hmm. uh, for the furthering of the gospel um, in Corinth. That's and, a that's a very comforting thing. And he didn't abandon them. You know, he wrote to them. In Second Corinthians, he poured his heart out very mm-hmm. personally because. And if he was like, "Oh, you guys are the, you know the worst. You guys are right. the church," he wouldn't have taken the time to write to them. Right. Yeah. So there, there's uh, Jesus still believes in the church. Yeah, if that makes yeah. sense. You know, yeah. he's yeah. the coach. That's for you, Tim. He's the coach of the church. <laughs> Tim, Tim's got his coaching shirt on today. Yeah. He's, he's ready. I have a game today. He's yeah. in it. A game. In it to win it. It's game day. Game day. Game day. I was going to say, not only as an encouragement, but also as a warning, I think, mm-hmm. that because sometimes, especially as a pastor, you're trying, as we're trying to lead our church and to mm-hmm. bring it to a place where we believe is healthy and faithful, sometimes I think it's easy to take one church that we're familiar with or know of and say okay that's what they're doing we need to do that mm-hmm. it's yeah. just a reminder there's not a perfect church mm-hmm. right any church that you would look to as an example or to follow the lead of or something like that is yeah. going to have problems too yes right there's no perfect example of a church here on earth right right so you've got to be careful about propping up certain churches mm-hmm. you know that we would do and just just keep that in mind and remember that but also to not be discouraged about the state of your own church Right, I'm sure that you know people listening to this, us especially knowing what we know about our church, like there's problems, but it's just a good reminder and it's encouraging to remember we're not the only church facing problems. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and also it's another thing. Another side you talked about the warning is that, um, and this is another thing is that just because it is possible for a a visible local congregation to go astray and to cease to be a church. So just because, um, you know, um, just because there there is a church in this location today does not automatically mean that that church in 50 years will is automatically guaranteed to be there in 50 years and to be a true church. There may be, I mean, you see this um, particularly in historic uh, places that were places of historic Baptist or congregational congregations or other denominations. And uh, those churches used to be faithful gospel preaching churches, but that was a long time ago. Yeah. It could have been a hundred years ago or 200 years ago and and they're not doing that anymore. So they have ceased to be true churches in a gospel sense. Yeah. Yeah. And you're saying they still exist. Yes. There's still people who go to that building. Yes. There's, and they have, yeah, they are, they are a, a gathering of people doing something, but they're not a church anymore. Yeah. Wasn't that your trip? Recently, Tim, to D.C. where you went to a cathedral, and that was right. Yeah, I mean, I went to the National Cathedral. Uh-huh. I've also went on, Duke, on Duke's campus, and they have a yeah. beautiful uh, cathedral yeah. there and went to that. But, I mean, in their literature, to me, they've disqualified themselves as, as true churches just reading their literature. Mm-hmm. And we accept all religions here to worship here. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. What? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. That's a... That's a problem. I was listening to a sermon actually at the National Cathedral recently, and the the lead pastor over all of it had a time of where he wanted everybody to center themselves first, and so they did some breathing exercises, centered and be present now, so that we can now now that we've done that, we can receive what we need. You know, just a lot of that. Like, <laughs> what is happening here? Mm-hmm. That's at our national cathedral, right? <laughs> right. right. That's which would be Episcopal, yeah, the Episcopal Church, mm-hmm. right? Which, um, 
is uh, to a very large extent um, astray, liberal, astray, or unchristian. Yeah. There are rem- there are remnants, in sure. church. but not always so, right? Not always so. There are, there are remnants yeah. of of uh, true churches. I have one in my mind right now that I think about. But um, well, may not even right now, but like historically, oh. that church was faithful. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. was a gospel preaching, trinitarian believing. Mm-hmm. Uh, church. Yeah. yeah. I mean, in many of our, uh, you know, you think about certain, um, uh, people in the past were, were Episcopalians, faithful Episcopalians, um, uh, in the past, even, you know, famous people like Robert E. Lee or Jefferson Davis, those are Southerners, obviously Confederates, but, um, of course, <laughs> but they were, they, they did go to church and I think they believed in a real heaven and a real hell and that Jesus really was the Christ. Um, which is more than you can say for a lot of people that go to Episcopal churches now, Mm -hmm. Um, sadly. Um, I think another interesting thing to think about, especially for us as Americans, is, I mean, at least this was me growing up when I was was a younger Christian, uh, was that the United States is kind of the center of the church mm -hmm. in the world, and that's absolutely not true. If you look at, at world history, the church has been centered in all kinds of different places. Right. Right. And it's probably not even accurate to think that it is centered in the United States. But oh. even if the church goes on a downward trend, you know, in the United States, yeah. it's going upward in right. other places. Right. Right. Yeah. And so, like, uh, it's either right now or in the near future, there's estimated to be more Christians in China than there are in the United States. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's just like we need to remember that and think about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, uh, we're not we're not all that there yeah. is. And well, I think. Go ahead. Case in point, like with Asia Minor, that was kind of a hub. I mean, Ephesus, you know, and those those the churches mm-hmm. that were that were were written to, uh, you know, that um, Jesus addressed in Revelation. That was kind of the epicenter in many ways for the gospel. And now it's Islamic dominant. You know, mm-hmm. I yep. mean, Islam is huge there, and so Definitely. the shift in culture. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, yeah. Local churches and regions can go astray. Um, yeah, it's. Um, uh, you were talking there, Dave, about um, Asia Minor. I think about uh, p- places like Egypt and Alexandria, which were very powerful at one time. You would, you maybe don't know that. They were very powerful Christian centers where a guy like Athanasius, who defended the, the, the divinity of Jesus Christ, was, was the bishop of Alexandria. Um, but today, Egypt would be in a much different religious place than it was around 300 AD. Um, and so that is just a warning to us all. Um, to, to be careful, to take, don't take that for granted, but also um, to trust that the Lord has his people. And, and, and really a verse then eventually, you know, because we, we can get discouraged and think, well, the Lord, where's the Lord's church at? And it reminds me of one instance uh, in the Old Testament where Elijah, right? I'm saying, all alone. Yeah, I'm all alone. Yep. And he says, nope, there are 7,000 men I've reserved who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. Mm-hmm. And so I've preserved my church, Elijah. Mm-hmm. Um, and Elijah needed to kind of be humbled to realize he wasn't the only one mm-hmm. here. And the Lord is at work, maybe in very quiet ways, because Elijah couldn't see all the 7,000 of those guys. Mm-hmm. Where are they? But the Lord had preserved them. Mm-hmm. And we have to trust that, mm-hmm. um, that the Lord, Jesus always has had and always will have yeah. a kingdom in this world. Mm-hmm. Um, and that will, it will never perish. Yeah. I was encouraged when I was in Dearborn, um, I was uh, working with a guy from Yemen, Yemeni. He was a believer. He got saved when he came over to the United States and, uh, he was teaching me some Arabic and stuff. And he was telling me about the church in Yemen. He's like, you know, there's no organized church there, Mm -hmm. but there's these little house churches, oftentimes one to two to three families. Um, and it's very dangerous. And oftentimes they'll send spies 
that are, you know, kind of radical Islamic spies that would come that pretend mm-hmm. to be Christians or interested in right. Jesus. And then that, then that, that, that church is closed or even worse. But I was encouraged to hear in spite of such a restricted Islamic country that the gospel is, is flourishing. And there's right. this movement going on of house churches mm-hmm. in a place like Yemen. Yes. It's amazing. It's so encouraging. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're, you're exactly right. God is at work. Um, even, you know, you mentioned Yemen. I was thinking about, you know, you hear about Nigeria, right? How they, uh, some of those churches are guarded by guys with militia guns. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, you know, um, I don't know. David just, Stanley would enjoy that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah they, uh, they definitely, um, yeah, though the churches, the, the Lord protects his people. So Christ always has had and ever have, sh- shall have a kingdom um, in this world. So, mm-hmm. so take heart. But the second part is not only is this an indestructible kingdom, but secondly, we have a sovereign king. We have a king who rules over us. And this is where the paragraph four of the, the, the old Baptist confession says this, the Lord Jesus Christ is the head of the church in whom by the appointment of the father, all power for the calling institution order or government of the church is invested in a supreme and sovereign manner. Neither can the Pope of Rome in any sense be head thereof, but is an, is that Antichrist, that man of sin and son of perdition that exalts himself in the church against Christ and all that is called God, whom the Lord shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. So first of all, let's talk about the uh, elephant in the room with the latter part of that. Um, uh, with the statement about the Pope being the Antichrist. Um, maybe people don't realize this, um, but in the, in the 1600s and, and, and the 1500s, it was a very basic understanding of Protestants um, that the Antichrist was the Pope of Rome, the Bishop of Rome. Why do you think that was? Why did they think that? in the 1600s, the 1500s, and really probably after that as well. Because he had led the church astray. In what way? Of believing that salvation was by something other than grace through faith, Mm -hmm. but it was through works, right? And that whole system that led to the Protestant Reformation, right? And so the Pope is the head of that, the head of that church, right? And so whoever is at the head of that leading that charge, Mm -hmm. leading people away from salvation— Right. Who else would that be? Yeah, and it's interesting because they say this is this. They put this under the head of the church chapter, so they highlighting the fact that the Pope is not the head of the church. Jesus Christ is the head of the church, and to the extent that the Pope, the Bishop of Rome, puts himself as the head, the supreme authority of the church on earth, he exalts himself above and or makes himself equal attempting to with Jesus Christ. Um, And to the Protestants at this time, that was a huge deal. And we've obviously today, um, this sounds very intolerant (laughs) to say. Um, And I think on the one hand, I think that we can look back and say, maybe they were to, um, we can't say that, you know, the final antichrist is, the Pope of Rome. Uh, we can't. I don't think we can say that for certain, um, according to the Bible. On the other hand, I also don't want to be too hard on them, on those Protestants, because let's be real. If Jesus Christ is the head of the church and someone comes along and says, no, I am, and by the way, they invest that, that office with infallibility, that is a big, big deal. 
and to put yourself as a in a position uh, where you are the literally the vicar of Christ on earth, the one in place of Christ on earth, and you have an infallible office when you speak at certain times and in certain ways. Um, that is a very big deal, and it has practical ramifications for like what you brought, talked about, Scott. Um, uh, what is the gospel? How are we saved? What are we called to believe? Does the, the who gets to decide that? And um, and for our Protestant forefathers and our Baptist forefathers, um, it was very clear that if Jesus Christ is the head of the church, then anybody who attempts to put themselves into Jesus Christ's position is at some level, a small a antichrist. You're opposing Jesus at that moment. And I think that's, so on the one hand, I don't want to be too, I don't want to uh, say that I know for certain that the Pope of Rome is that final antichrist. On the other hand, I I think it's important for us to also say um, at least what the popes were doing back then, and I think to be fair, they're still doing it today by still holding that office. They are acting anti-Christian at the very least in opposing Jesus Christ um, in his role as the the ultimate head of the church. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, I was just I was just looking up real quick because you're you're going through Second John, and I know in yeah. Second John, Antichrist is brought up, yeah, mm-hmm. capital A, but little A. Yeah, and it just John just says in there if they're teaching Christ didn't come in the flesh, they are a yes. deceiver, an yes. Antichrist, mm-hmm. which we would label. Mm-hmm. That that office, yes, like yes. you're saying, you know, if it's not capital A, yeah, it's at least little A, because there's a lot of little. He says anti- there, he says there are antichrists. Yeah, they're plural. running around. Yeah, um, yeah. And what John kind of alludes to is, it's those who are deceiving you, who are teaching false mm-hmm. truths uh, about the Christian faith, and we definitely could say that as Protestants against the Pope, who. I know around here people hesitate big time to label things with Roman Catholics because they'll say there's a lot of good people in the Roman Catholic Church. They'll say statements like there are Christians in the Roman Catholic Church, to which I can't necessarily disagree. But what we can say is the people who are following the letter of the law within the Roman Catholic Church and what they believe, we would have to state we do not think they are Christian. And if there is anybody in the Roman Catholic Church who that would describe, it should be the Pope, <laughs> yeah. who is living based off of their doctrine. Yeah. Right? And so we would say, he holds to this, and we don't believe this to be of true faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's, I mean, I I know that, I think the, the reason why it's uncomfortable for us today is just because it sounds very intolerant. It's not as, it, but we're not saying that... Uh, I don't, I'm not saying, and none of us are here saying, like you said, Tim, there are Christians that go to Roman Catholic churches. Yes, there are people that are Christian, but they're Christians despite what the Roman Catholic Church teaches, not because of, of what the Roman Catholic um, Church teaches. So the truth that they're trying to defend here, however, is that Jesus Christ is the sovereign king, the only sovereign head of the church. And I like they say all power. And so, first of all, they say the Father has given Jesus this power as the mediator, as the God-man. He has been given not simply some power, but all power for the calling, institution, order, and government of the church is all given to Jesus. Um, so, I want to read this little bit here from Spur- I got a little, you're going to say a little bit, but I'm not going to read the whole thing. But um, yes, you are. Charles Spurgeon has a has a sermon called "The Head of the Church" uh, about. 
Christ being the head of the church. I believe he's preaching from Colossians chapter one, verse 18. Um, is this his sermon? No, not the whole thing. No, but it's some of it. It's like one you like part of point. one big point. Yeah, I've, I've, I've you took his points. You've yeah, made a I'm trying because it's you've helpful. Ma- you've made a table. This here. is our this is our guy. This is our guy. Okay. So Spurgeon, it. Christ has sole authority. He says this. This is the his. Uh, um, he says this. Spurgeon said this. The sole authority of Jesus Christ in all respects must be maintained rigorously. But churches are very apt to be guided by something else. Some would have us guided by results. We have heard a discussion upon the question whether or not we should continue missionary operations since there are so few converted. How can the question ever be raised while the master's orders run thus? Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So, I think that's a very helpful statement that he says, Jesus Christ is the sole authority and we have to really maintain that as he says rigorously um, because we're so apt to put other things in Jesus's place. So we may not put the Pope in that place, but I think we, in our tradition, we have been attempted to be guided by results. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And Spurgeon is saying this in the 1800s. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> let alone um, in our, um, uh, 21st century, uh, where I think that is ex- especially true. If it was true in the 1800s, it's especially true today that we put the, we put, we don't follow the Pope of Rome, but we might follow the Pope of results, um, in order to understand what we're supposed to do. And, and Spurgeon is saying, we have to be highlight. We have to be under the authority of Jesus Christ as the church's head, um, so he's, he's highlighting that. He eventually says this. Um, <clears throat> uh, he says, we have the same king still, the same law still, the same teaching of the word still, and we are to deliver this teaching after the same sort and in the same spirit. Semper item must be our motto, always the same, always keeping close to Jesus Christ and glorifying him for he and not the times, not the philosophy and not the wit of man must rule and govern the church of God. So, first of all, Spurgeon there is highlighting the fact that the, what this chapter is trying to highlight is that Jesus Christ is the sole authority. He gives a few special uh, statements about what this means, and I think this is helpful for people to grasp what we're saying when Jesus Christ is the head of the church. First of all, he gets to determine the doctrine that we're going to believe. Spurgeon says this, since Christ is the head of his body, the church, he alone can determine doctrines for her. Nothing is to be received as divinely warranted, except it cometh with his stamp upon it. It is nothing, my brethren, to the faithful servant of Jesus Christ, that a certain dogma comes down to him from the gray antiquity of the ages to make it venerable. Like a sensible man, the Christian respects antiquity, but like a loyal subject of his king, he does not so bow before antiquity as to let it become ruler in Zion instead of the living Christ. So when when it, this is important because um, what gets to be taught from the pulpits or as what we're going to say as church, we don't get to decide. We don't get to make up, do we? Mm-mm. Jesus gets to decide what we teach and preach here in this church. And he's put it in his book, the scriptures. So he gets to decide what the people in the pew should believe for salvation. Not me, not any other person. Um, he alone gets to decide what the doctrine will be of the church. He also, he says, gets to legislate laws for the church. He says, um, 
Well, eventually he says he's the only lawgiver, um, but eventually he says this. When we meet together in church meeting, we cannot make laws for the Lord's kingdom. We dare not attempt it. Such necessary regulations as may be made for carrying out our Lord's commands to meet for worship and to proclaim the gospel are commendable because they are acts needful to obedience to the highest laws. But even these minor details are not tolerable if they clearly violate the spirit and mind of Christ. Um, he says at the very end, their lawmaking in the church was finished in that day when the curse was pronounced on him who should take from or add to the word of God. Christ alone is the legislator of his church, none but he. Now, I want to talk about something underneath this section, because we're not going to talk about this in really in this talk about the church, but this to me is why the, we talked about it before under worship, why the regulative principle of worship is so important. Because it's really just an application of the fact that Jesus Christ gets to decide what we're going to believe and how we're going to function and what worship looks like for us as a church. Um, what is the regulative principle real quick, Tim? Why me? Because. Because you, you need to participate. You're the authority here. You're the, you're, you're the bishop. <laughs> we all have oh. this. Yeah. Am I the head of this? What, I mean, what's happening here? Yeah, come on. You want me to define it? Yeah. What is the regulative principle? What are we saying when we say that? It's what makes worship boring. <laughs> is that what you're looking for? No. I don't think it makes it boring. I know. But, I'm just, okay. okay. <laughs> no. was Basically, <laughs> the regular p- principle is saying in worship, we only do what scripture tells us we can do. Mm-hmm. We stick to that, mm-hmm. right? Because yes. of what you were just talking about. Right. We don't want to step outside of that. Now, there's some wiggle room i guess within the regulative principle where people some people will say well do you sit in a pew does the bible tell you to do that mm-hmm. right. right i mean they will go sure. to yeah. some great lengths yes. uh, mm-hmm. with that mm-hmm. but normally it, it's that we want to do the things that he's told us to do so we look in god's word what does he tell us to do he tells us to sing okay he tells us to give okay he tells us to preach the word of god right mm-hmm. he tells us to read scripture publicly Right. We have we have these things. And it's mm-hmm. like okay, these are the things then that mm-hmm. we do. Um, I think one of the dangers and what I hear a lot is we can do what isn't said though because it's it's not forbidden, mm-hmm. and that's a I think that's where we get into some big problems, right? Because there's things my kids could do that I've never told them don't do this. Sure, <laughs> if they did it, they're in big trouble. Sure. <laughs> like, you know. Well, and there's there's f- things that are fine to do outside of church worship services that we're yeah. not supposed to do in the worship of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have great Christian liberty, right? Yeah, in our life of of, of vocation, of vacation, going on trip, whatever. We have all these freedoms that we really can do, but within the actual act of corporate worship, as we gather together, there we don't have that same freedom. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we should expect it because we're not there for us. We're there for, for him. Right. And that's always been the, the big thing is if there's this being who has done all of this for me, then what is best for me is to do what he wants me to do for him. No matter what it is, even to the extent, that's why we have martyrs, right? I have to die for Christ today and I'm going to do it gladly. Right. Uh, I have to go to this other country because this is what Christ wants for me. So this is where I'm going to go. I'm going, whatever, whatever it is. Uh, And we don't set that standard. We let him set that standard. And so to me, it's kind of foolish if I'm trying to, like, like take take your relationship with your spouse. 
if your spouse is like, you know what would really make me happy? You're like, well, what? What would really make me happy is if uh, I could have a grilled steak and a baked potato. That would just be, I mean, that would make my day today. Okay. And then you go to the store and you're like, I know what I'm going to do for her. I'm actually going to buy some turkey and some carrots because she'll like that more. I know <laughs> she will. And then you go make turkey and you make carrots and then she's all mad at you and you're like, well, I don't get it. I, I did something better. And she's like, no, I wanted a steak and a baked potato and it would have been that easy. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's sometimes what we do mm, yeah. in particular in worship of what you're talking yeah. about. Here. So like as an mm-hmm. example, something that we, uh, yeah, it was in this podcast. We talked about the example of being at the cathedral that you were at where part yeah. of the sermon was like, okay, now we're all going to center ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. That's you're, you're asking the church to do something there that scripture does not command them to do as the church. Yeah. In authority as in, he stood yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Right. You know, mm-hmm. so like now, like that's different than asking the church to read a passage of scripture and you read it from a screen versus a physical Bible. That's, that's not the same thing, mm-hmm. but it's, you're asking the church together corporately to, to do something that's not scriptural. Right. That's, that's a violation of the regulative principle, mm-hmm. you know, there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I think what this does is and this is it actually protects everybody in the pew. Um because whenever you start whenever a church goes around and starts doing stuff in worship services whether that be it could be any number of things. Um you're actually putting the you're actually telling everybody in the pew um that this is what Jesus wants from them and this is what Christian worship looks like. Um, but because Jesus is the head of the church and because scripture is sufficient and the final authority and because the second commandment still exists, that we don't get to go and create worship out of our own minds, um, because of that, we are free as Christians to worship Jesus Christ according to the way Jesus tells us to. And so this is actually a great charter of freedom. Uh, for us as Christians, and particularly in the past, our Baptist forefathers thought this was a this was a major point um, uh, for them, and and I think this is something that we 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 probably don't cherish like we should. What would their big rub have been? <clears throat> right. So we were just talking about like how this, like the whole reason they brought up the Pope as the Antichrist is because of where they were in their historical mm-hmm. moment. Mm-hmm. So like their emphasis of the regulative principle. What would their have? What would their big rub have been? Or like, what would they have been emphasizing, like that was being done in like the Roman Church? Or I don't That's know. It's a good question. Um, I know for some of our uh, Puritan forefathers, it was even small things like bowing, or how you took communion, even, or what you should wear. Um, there was a there was a whole issue over um, the certain gown that you mm-hmm. had to wear. And this, these were all related into the Church of England at the time. And the Book of Common Prayer was an issue for the Puritans yeah, because yeah. it was a f- kind of formula that they used rather mm-hmm. than the Scriptures. You know? Yeah, and there, and there were various degrees, but I mean, there were contentions over that mm-hmm. about how much can you impose um, these things upon um, Christians mm-hmm. and those who were more, um, I'll say the word radical, or which would be like our Baptist forefathers were saying none of that. Only what the Bible tells us to do. They would have been much harder on this regulative principle than, say, people that stayed in the Church of England. Um, they were much more content 
um, to allow those kinds of things. Or for instance, you know, even things like this that we don't think about like, like Holy Days or the practice of Lent, um, uh, the uh, celebration of, of Christmas even, or Easter. Maybe people don't realize, but uh, Christmas was banned in England during the Puritan period. And it was banned in Scotland till about the 1950s. Or I shouldn't say banned. It wasn't an official public holiday in Scotland till about the 1950s, I think, because they got rid of it. Um, And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with celebrating Christmas freely. But on the other hand, I do think there's something wrong if a church tells people, listen, if you're not celebrating Lent as a Christian, you're, you're a bad Christian because Jesus never told us to celebrate Lent. That's just the reality. So if you go up to a Christian and say, listen, you've got to celebrate Lent with the, Lent with the rest of us, that's, that's unbiblical. You've created a new law. You've created a new thing to look spiritual. And, you, and the problem is today isn't even so much um, that people are saying this is what you need to do. Um, it's not so much in order to be saved, but there are a lot of people that introduce things just because they're cool. And it's a cool aesthetic thing to do. They do things because they think they're hip or, or neat or different. And we need to go back again, I think, and say, but Jesus Christ gets to determine what's profitable for us. Um, and we want to, we, should, we also should have a great concern to protect the consciences of our brothers and sisters in the Lord, um, that we're really trying hard um, to. Um, Obviously, like Spurgeon even points out, there's going to be things like you pointed out, Scott, whether or not we use a screen or not, or have a book or not, um, those kinds of things. Um, those, are, those, are, those are circumstances, or what, whether or not we get together at 11.30 or 11. Um, but the but marriage is certain things that it doesn't matter your preference. No. Because it's not about you. Jesus Christ, this yes. is his church. You can't say, I do not like to read. Too bad. Right, the Bible. We're told it's what you have to do. Jesus told us I to read the word. Yeah, I don't like to sit and listen. That's too bad. That's what he told us to do. Right. You know, you can say that with the I don't like to pray. Too bad. Right. You know, I don't I I will not get baptized. Yeah. You it's might like, well, well how's how am I gonna say for that? What? I'm just saying you don't like to pray. You might not be a Christian. <laughs> no, you know, yeah. I'm just <laughs> saying you yeah. can't say these things like I like you could say something about baptism. Well, this is what he tells us to do, right? Lord's mm-hmm. Supper. I don't want to do that. Oh, mm-hmm. This is what he tells us to do. Right. And you can't, I, it does remind me a little bit, like there's some restaurants I'll go to and it'll say, we will not cook a steak this way. <laughs> like we will not cook a steak well done. What? Even if you ask for it. Um, I went into a restaurant recently and it said, if you ask for ketchup, we're going to ask you to leave. We don't do that here. Really? Yeah. Where is that? <sighs> I don't remember. Wow. But I remember they had a sign, we do not carry ketchup. They had other things, but they didn't have ketchup. And they have the right to do that, right? As an individual, as a private owner, they have a right to do that. The chef has the right to do that. See, they're just trying to keep kids out of their restaurant. That's all that is. Well, they're trying to keep Spencer. (laughs) I don't like ketchup. I was talking about the the ketchup. (laughs) Yeah, the the steak, they're they're actually right in that. Right. But you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) I'm trying to stick up for you here, Spencer. I appreciate that. Yeah. If he wants his steak, well done. Who am I? To not cook it for him that way, right? If I if I invite him over my house and we I want to have dinner, I want to make him happy, and he's like, you know what make me happy? Cook that steak till it tastes like a shoe. I'm going to do that for him. You know what I mean? But Just throw it in the microwave. <laughs> but here's the mentality, right? Here's the mentality is I know better than Spencer that if he would just change his preference to like it the way I like it, his life would be so much better. Well, we then 
do that to God. Mm-hmm. I know that you tell us these ordinary means are how you speak to us, but I could really jazz this up for you. I think you'll like it more. Right. I think more people will like it. I think more people will come into your kingdom. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you don't have the right to do that. No. Well, also, and this is this ties in these things, these laws and doctrine is, and we've learned this, right? The, the medium impacts the message. The medium impact, the way in which it comes to you, the way in which it comes to you impacts what you think the message is. Because sometimes it's said, well, listen, we're not changing the doctrine at all, but we're going to jazz the service up. We're going to, you know, we're going to bring dancers in. We're going to um, do this or that thing on the stage. And we're gonna, the doctrine's not changing, but we're just going to change the way we worship. I think the reality is, is you may think you're not changing the doctrine, but the doctrine, what is going to be heard will be different because Jesus has ordained that this gospel doctrine is going to be carried forth in gospel worship. Um, it's going, there's a reason why he's ordained preaching and reading and singing and praying and baptizing in the Lord's supper to communicate his finished work. Um, and the minute that we think that those things are insufficient or, or wrong, I think what we see so often is, is when churches move beyond those things and add to those things, they actually change their doctrine and their doctrine moves on. And, uh, and that's the reality is I think we, we need to be much more suspicious about the fact that we can change our services or change, change, uh, things like that without changing the doctrine. And, um, doesn't mean you don't. You can't do certain things to, um, for your context, but even under the idea of contextualization, too much of the time, um, we're, we're actually um, uh, doing things that are completely different. Um, and I think sometimes, too, that gives people um, too, too broad of a brush to, <laughs> to go with uh, um, underneath that. So Christ alone gets to determine the doctrine that we're going to believe. He legislates for the church. But lastly, Spurgeon says this, he's also the living administrator of the church. Uh, He says this, he is not here. It is true. But as monarchs often administrate through lieutenants, so the Lord Jesus administereth through his ever living spirit who dwells in the hearts of his people. You are not to think of Christ as of one who is dead and buried. If he were here on earth, I suppose nobody would claim to be the head of the church, but himself. His presence would at once overawe every pretender. And now, though he is not here in person, yet he is not dead. He liveth, he sitteth on the throne, prepared for him at the right hand of the Father. In spirit, he is here. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And this... Why are you laughing about that? Although I am with you always. At first I thought, I started laughing at first because I thought that said LOL, not low. Laugh out loud. I am with you Spurgeon was ahead of with time. you always. Yeah, he was texting. <laughs> Spurgeon was waiting. Wow. That violates the regulative principle. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, boy. And we are sitteth right now. <laughs> we are sitteth. You may be standing. <laughs> you may standeth. I'm going to say You know what? You may be standing. You may be standing. You know what? Go ahead, Tim. Go ahead. Let's keep this conversation going. I forgot. Yeah. Speaketh, Spencer. You're going to say about Jesus being with us, I think, or something like that. He's the living administrator. Yeah. And this is why it makes it so important that whatever church you go to, you make sure that the leaders are leading through 
the word of God and nothing else, mm-hmm. right? This is what makes it so scary of like, well, I, God has told me to do this now. Well, where, what? Is right. there a way to prove that? Right. <clears throat> because he's not here with us. And so as he was saying, if as he administ- as he continues his administration, but now he does it through the church. Mm-hmm. And what he's established, we see in the New Testament, is uh, pastors, elders to serve the church. There has to be some sort of standard for them. It can't just be this guy dreamed this, this guy dreamed this, yeah. this guy thought this. Because you're not going to have any cohesion within the body of Christ, mm-hmm. right? You have to have a standard. And so even today, you can, when we're talking about the true church, true church specifically, is you can go all over the world and you can go to a worship service of a true church. And there are going to be some differences, maybe some differences of, well, definitely of location, uh, differences of length. Um, Length or even environment, like of where it's at. It could be outside. It could be inside. It could be in a gym. It could be whatever. There's all these different things. But what you're going to find standard at the true church is they are opening up the word of God, and that's what they're teaching, and that's what's guiding and directing the service, mm-hmm. the whole thing. Yep. Nothing else. Yep. And that's how he has administered to us how to be what he's called yeah. us to be. Right? Mm-hmm. That's that. It's and that's important because it's so common to see different. Oh, I've I've had this idea. God gave me this thought. Was that this podcast or something different we were talking on? We do too many of these a day. I don't know. Go ahead. Anyways, but when that starts to be the language, you know, is God has given me this calling, this special yeah. calling. That was the other one. Uh, yeah. I can't prove that. I don't. I don't know. And I know for me, at least as a leader, I don't ever want to lead based off of that because, as I just said, I don't know if I said this conversation in this podcast or the last one, let alone just coming up with something True. that I'm like, oh, I think it was God, well, or maybe it was just a weird dream, or I don't know, maybe I fell asleep when I was watching football. I have no idea. You know, I, I don't trust myself enough to base off of this. I need something, and he's given us something, mm-hmm. his word. Yeah. That's what we have. Right. Right? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's this is... um. The fact that he lives and continues to rule and reign. One of the things you you said something. One of the things that that we can that cultures or as we think about things, we will tend to slide on one side or the other. They talk about the, it's a, it's this question of the one or the many, uh, whether or not unity versus diversity. And so sometimes in our thinking, we overemphasize the sameness, and so we might be tempted to say that every single, for instance, when, so when applied to worship services, we will say, well, listen, every single worship service should look exactly the same around the world with the same instruments, with the same exact songs, with the same exact tunes. Well, that that's one way of an extreme. On the other hand, I think the, the, the inclination though today is to overemphasize the differences um, to where we say, well, listen, those churches, they do things their way. We do things our way. It's whatever. But substantially, um, while things may look different in certain ways, substantially Christian worship is the same around the world. It is reading the Bible, hearing the word taught or preached. It is going to be addressing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And it's going to include prayer and baptism in the Lord's Supper. That is Christian worship for 2000 years right there. And you can take that and I can take those things. Um, and I can do that in Egypt. I can do that in Kenya. I can do that in Germany. I can do that in Brazil. Those things are 
Those, those are cross-cultural. And there's a reason why the Lord gave those to us, because he, he's, uh, he knows what works, and he knows how to communicate the gospel. And so gospel worship, while it may look different in certain ways, substantially, it should be the same around the world. Yeah, yeah never mind. I made me think of something that's off a topic. Sorry. Okay. So indestructible kingdom, sovereign king. Um, so Jesus Christ is the head of his church. And so if we want to know how the church should be run or any of those questions, we have to ask that question. What did Jesus command us to do um, and such? Did you have something else you wanted to add? Yeah, I, I heard for a while. I, I guess we still hear it, you know, like, oh, I'm planting a church or I'm, I'm going to a church that's in the city. And so our church is going to look a lot different than your rural church. And it's like, what do <laughs> yeah. you, what? What are you talking about? We got to do things different here to reach these city folk compared to the country folk, you know? And it's like, what are you talking about? He's given us these things or even just recently Christmas, you know, we celebrate Christmas, December 25th, which so happened to fall on a Sunday. And I remember listening to a pastor who's like, we have to cancel. And his reasoning was, well, we're in the city. It's just different. You know? And it's like, wait, you know, it's like, no, God, like you were saying, God has, God knows what works. He's given us these universal sure. means yeah. and it's, it's no different for the city person or the country person or, mm-hmm. or, or whatever. You I mean, act, even think of all yeah. the illiterate people for so long, he gave them the preaching of the word yeah. so they could hear it. They didn't have to know yeah. how to read it. You start to destroy the, the, the small C true Catholicity of the church, yeah. the oneness mm-hmm. of the church. Mm-hmm. Whenever you start to deny, when you start to say things like that, right? Where it is true, there are certain uh, secondary things that may be, you know, like I mean, okay, if, if what the person is referring to when they say that are the circumstances, like we've already used that language yeah. earlier in this episode, yeah. then uh, yeah, absolutely, of course, there's sure. going to be different circumstances for you and your church, yeah, and and planting that church there. But if you're referring to the actual elements themselves, of well. We got to reach them different, so we're not actually going to preach at our church. Right? No, no, right. that's right. not that. Right. That can't happen. Right? Mm-hmm. If you're saying, "Well, we can't meet at nine a.m., we can meet it at a 12. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah that's right. not a problem. Right. No big deal. Right. You know. And like I know that was a big issue for like the churches that I would work with in Scotland through Twenty Schemes. Their services were always later. Sure. But because everybody's sleeping. Like nobody yeah. will get up right. to and go. That was a circumstance, yeah. though. They didn't yeah. change what they were singing. They didn't change the reading of Scripture, mm-hmm. or baptism, or Lord's Supper. They changed the circumstance. Yeah. They as were, long as that's what's being meant, yes. that's totally fine. Because, you know, sometimes, though, it's like, well, city people need art walks. They yeah. need ballet dancers in the church. Yeah. They need... Uh, they need music that's a little jazzy, you know, because they're they're more sophisticated than the uh, than the uh, er, than the rural trailer park crowd or whatever it's being communicated there. They probably are, but <laughs> but, but but not substantially, you know. Um, oh. I think, and again, that that also goes back to your understanding of humanity. Is humanity basically the same underneath, despite of all of our seemingly exterior differences yeah. or does the, do those cultural differences are they more substantial than you know and again i think the bible teaches that at the core we're all the same um around the world um and so we all have one problem and we all have one savior so okay all right well thanks for um this we'll we'll continue this uh 
series next week. And um, thanks for listening. Take care. God bless.